So, um, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. Those of you who are new, um, you're jumping in in the middle of a series. Welcome. Uh, it's like opening a story and starting halfway through the, the book. Um, I believe God has an agenda, and it's not random. He doesn't create wanderers. Christians who wander never understand the kingdom. You know what a wandering Christian looks like? A wandering Christian is someone who moves from moment to moment looking for the thing they already possess but don't believe they actually possess it. So they chase conferences and ministers and people and moves hoping to get the thing that Jesus already gave them. And their life is anything but pointed. Usually it's very fragmented. It's up and down. It's very emotion-based. They are moved easily by anything that comes along, whether it's a person, a place, a thing, a feeling. And their focus is not as easily broken. Sounds like most of Christianity. (laughs) One day you get old enough, you figure out that your emotions are just liars and you just start to ignore them. At least you should. And if you haven't, I I suggest you start because it helps a whole lot. Are you with me? I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at how unbelievably simple the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So I want to remind some of you that we've been on a, 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 a projection here, a trajectory. We started with identity and we went to mind renewal and now we're in the kingdom. We talked about wisdom a little bit in between, the necessity of that. But all of these connect to this final point of the kingdom of God. Now, there's not like there's, it's not like there's other po- not points in the Bible that, that are important to talk about, but this is the finality of where we're all headed. Your theology will be tested against God's kingdom. Our opinions and everything we've studied, whether right or wrong, will be tested. And here's the kicker. Even if you're right, if you did it in a wrong spirit, you were wrong. So how can you say that? Well, because Jesus even said that you should listen to the Pharisees because they were right. But he said, don't be like them because they're wrong. It's amazing that we can be right and wrong at the same time. Blind to one and only see the other. Everybody thinks they're right in every situation. The Bible is very clear. Each man does that which is right in his own eyes. Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. You with me? The problem is, is the eyes are just the lens. Your brain is what you see with. And if that's not renewed, it doesn't matter if it's right in your own eyes or not. I'm constantly having to let go of my thoughts and theologies as I meet more of the Lord and and, and God and His people. And there's always going to be those standard principles of the gospel that salvation by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ those never change 
but knowing who God is and how to practically manifest him in difficult circumstances of life, that takes a son of God. Because many times the things that we encounter in life are the things that we operate in opposite to what God would do. And yet we call it ministry. Does that make sense? Okay, if not, we'll move on. This kingdom message I want to preach on basically is, is trying to get people to understand that our natural ways of operating in life and operating toward God and operating toward each other are usually not the ways of the Lord. How many of you guys have followed Jesus longer than 10 years? Okay. In that time frame, has God ever done anything the way you thought he was going to? Everybody who's been saved less than that, pay attention. God never moves the way you think he's going to move. He'll give people words and visions and dreams, and they jump ahead of God, assuming that those things mean X, Y, and Z, and then they get ahead of God, and God goes around a completely different way, brings the thing to pass, but through a much more difficult way. Nah, that's good preaching. <laughs> You want Jesus without his cross, though, that, that's just not possible. I want to share with you God's order. In Daniel, there was a heathen king who had a dream. And it took Daniel to interpret that dream. Often what God speaks to us, it takes somebody else to be able to properly interpret the reality of what he's showing us. This is why I'm so against the only isolated personal relationship with Jesus mentality. Because I can prove to you scripturally that you can't make it on your own. And you were never designed to make it on your own. God didn't save uh, us to become maverick lone rangers. He saved us to become part of his corporate family. And there's going to be disagreements and difficulties and all kinds of opinions that come up. But you know what he, he was banking on is the reality of his love being inside of us that overrides our discrepancies. People who elevate the discrepancy over loving one another are people who are not understanding the kingdom of God. Okay, so in Daniel chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. Verse 44, at the end of the dream, if you, haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll probably have to go read. I don't have time to teach on Daniel. That's a huge thing. So here's the thing. is At the end of the dream, uh, this rock comes out of somewhere and crushes this measure statue, which represented all the kingdoms of the world, all the major kingdoms of the world, the important ones. And the only thing that's left standing at the end of it is Jesus and his kingdom. And you know this, right? How can we know this, yet we still live in a kingdom that is opposite to his? See, it says here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, this is Daniel explaining to the king. He says, in, the days, uh, in these days, these kings shall the God of heaven set up as a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed... And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume every other kingdom, and it will stand forever. 
we're, we're on a collision course with the kingdom of God. And for, for us as, in Christianity to start and say that the kingdom of God is heaven, and it's something that we're going to endure or be a part of there and not here, is, is, a, is a mistake. Right? This is why Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. God's ultimate goal was always to manifest his reality into ours, not to force our reality upon him. The essence of our prayers should be to pray that his kingdom would have dominance in our life. But if we don't think kingdom thoughts, we're going to live earthly lives. So this is why I started this message a couple weeks ago. The first thing that Jesus teaches on after he's endued with power. He comes out of the wilderness. He beat the devil. The very first words out of his mouth. This is the very inception of his ministry. See, at their baptism, he got endorsed. He went in to take out the powers. And then he comes out to start his ministry. The first thing he says, change how you think because I'm bringing my kingdom to your world. Why do we have to change how we think? Because our world does not understand his kingdom. Every time God has ever done something in your life, that has manifested kingdom reality, it's actually gone against the grain of your natural existence. You with me? When you get slapped in the face, your natural instinct, if you're not completely dead, is to operate according to the kingdom of the earth. So you can't fake that. You either have it or you don't. And the only way to tell if you have it or not is if somebody smacks you in the face. You see what kind of son you are when you're persecuted. You don't determine, your, your sonship's not determined by how you sit in the pew. With me? This is why it's important for us to renew our mind. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. With me? How many of you are going through a difficulty right now? How many of you have been tempted to make that difficulty everything about your Christianity? (laughs) Two less hands. Some of you should have been honest. (laughs) Do you understand that that's not, not permanent? That to pray kingdom prayers, we often have to, to, to leave out earthly issues. I'll get to it next week. But Jesus says, take no thought for the things of tomorrow. He even says when you go to pray, you shouldn't even ask for the things that you need. Because your father already knows. So this condition that you're in that you think is so difficult and hard, 
and God's not listening and you're trying to pray and make everything about that and this is why your relationship with God is off a little bit and you feel lack of peace and you feel torment and you feel all these different things or even just an unrest in your spirit is because you have unknowingly began to make everything about the kingdom of the earth and you've forced God into your reality instead of taking your reality into his. Anytime we get ourselves off of kingdom focus, we begin to Christianize uh, God. And he's not a Christian. You will not convert him. He's unconvertible. He doesn't want to be like you. He already became like you so that you could become like him. Does this make sense? So it takes a renewed mind to see the value of a suffering king. The very coming of Jesus Christ of Nazareth was an offense to all of Judaism. Do you understand that? That his own people who had studied and waited and and prayed for his arrival when he finally came, the way he came was not what they were expecting. And when he comes to our life, it's the same way. And yet we blame him for how he comes. Everybody wants the healing anointing, but nobody wants to be sick. (laughs) Sometimes you have to walk through some things to be able to be relevant to people in the authority realm. Everybody wants to talk about Smith Wigglesworth and how he had such a great percentage of healing. But how many of you know he's struggled for 14 years with kidney stones that let him bleed out almost behind the pulpit every time he preached? And he had a daughter who was blind who never got healed. Who wants that anointing? Yes, I didn't think so. See, what we want is the power of God without the character of God that's formed in suffering. That's what we want because we're thinking like the earth. We've decided what we want and we're going to use God as an instrument of of righteousness, a tool to perform what we want to see happen. The shift of our mind has to occur to understand the will of the Father. If we're not okay with a suffering king, we're not okay with the kingdom he brings. Do you understand how much of, a, of an offense it was for Jesus to come the way he came? The Hebrew scholars really believed that he was going to come in on a horse riding from heaven. They got the return mixed with the first coming. <laughs> they messed it up because their brains weren't seeing clearly. They actually thought, because the scriptures does talk about him coming on that, that horse, but they thought that's how he was going to come the first time. And we want God to come into our life with power and majesty and defiance against demonic impulses and, and just stand there and just defy everything in our life and protect us. And he comes, sometimes comes as a little baby. Actually, every time he comes, he comes as a little baby in the first part of it. You guys ever remember this, the, the, the term born again? How many of you have been born again? You know what that means? It means you were a little baby. And it's amazing to me that these beginning stage Christians don't understand in their brain 
that sometimes you have to kind of, kind of follow the natural order of growth in the spirit realm to be able to see the, 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 the correlations between the two. That you watch young, if you've done this long enough and you watch a new believer get saved, the first couple of years is bliss. It's like a baby. He says, oh, it's so cute. You just so look at them. They're so sweet. You know, it's so awesome. And then they start turning into little toddlers. Spiritual toddlers. It's hard, though, because they're 40-something years old, and you're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Shouldn't be acting like that. This is not about you. But you got to understand, inside, they're just a little bitty toddler. Their spirit's not mature. It has to grow like Christ's did. You got to go back and listen to the other series to I can't catch you up, sorry. <laughs> so we need a new level of understanding. But we need to become that understanding because in our daily life you're not going to have time to stop and go, "Wait a minute. I got to think kingdom now." It doesn't work like that. A kingdom mind is reactive and it's organic. It's reflex. Just like an earthly mind is organic and reflex. You act upon what you become, period. What you become is what you train yourself to be when it's hard, when nobody's around, when depression and self-pity are offering itself to you. That's where you're formed. When you feel alone. Who you believe God is in that moment is who he really is to you. Not because that's who he is, but that's who you've made him to be. That make sense? So I want you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 11. We're going to go into some, hopefully, explaining between the two covenants and the power of the kingdom of God and the difference between the two covenants. The first message we preached on, we talked about John the Baptist being the facilitator of the best facilitator that the Old Covenant had to offer. You remember that? Jesus said, of those born among women, there is none greater than John. Right. Right? So, in other words, the Old Testament had everything wrapped up in its entirety, its best picking from all of the tribes of all the people, and John emerges and out of the Old Testament, he's the best that they had to offer. John represents a, a mentality and a mindset of the Old Kingdom and the Old Covenant. Jesus is the representation of the New Covenant and the New Kingdom reality. And there's a direct contrast between the two, th two ways of thinking. You with me? Just because we're operating in ministry or churchism, if you call it, or whatever it might be, Christianity, does not mean we're operating on kingdom principles. Just because you're praying for somebody doesn't mean you're a person of the kingdom. Okay, we can deceive ourselves in thinking that because we're working involved in church ideology that we're actually manifesting kingdom reality. The kingdom is more than getting people born again. The kingdom is more than even discipleship, which doesn't usually happen in churches. 
The kingdom is about God's reign and rule being established through sons who have been saved and discipled. It takes the salvation. It takes the discipleship. But at that point, it's no longer about you getting to some pinnacle of, 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 of arrival to where you can start your ministry. No, it's about you and I not only demonstrating, but, but establishing God's kingdom in the earth. You understand that? The kingdom can be a, this, a, a, it can be demonstrated in the bodies and in, in, in situations of people, but it can only be established in their hearts. Does that make sense? Okay, let me say it this way: You can heal somebody by the power of the Spirit of God from sickness, and then do that to, by the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that does it, right? I'm not being weird. Jesus heals them through you, and then all of a sudden, because of that healing, you think that the kingdom's been established. No, there's been people who have been healed and walk away from God, healed, back into their old life. That, that, that's the difference between demonstrating kingdom and establishing kingdom. Jesus did both. He demonstrated its power, and then he established it in people's hearts. Who had the greatest establishment of kingdom in their heart? Was it the multitudes? Or was it the people he relationally connected himself with? To establish the kingdom, you have to work with the things that are often small, minuscule, and unseen. To demonstrate it, you can do it in front of crowds and people, build a name, but many who demonstrate don't often establish. But those who establish will always demonstrate. Our job is to establish his kingdom in the earth. Your job is to establish his kingdom at your workplace, in your family, in your marriage. To establish kingdom principles that no demon would even dare to encroach upon. Why? Because they will have you to face. Well, that sounds arrogant. No, it's confident. Because, see, a, a son of God knows that they're not going to win every battle. They know that they've already won the war. So when you stand that kingdom lying ground, it may kill your physical body to do so, but you're okay. Yeah. You're okay with that. Because you realize, I don't live according to this earth. So there is no threat you can bring against me. None. You with me? So Matthew chapter 11, I want to, I want to take you through this. We're going to look at the, the, the correlation of John's thinking versus Jesus' thinking and begin to hopefully see how we fit somewhere in the middle. I'm going to, I'm going to read this and come back to it. So it's, it's, it's Matthew 11, 11. It says, uh, Jesus is saying, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not been risen a greater than John the Baptist." Yet, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Listen to this. And from the days of John the Baptist up until now, the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Did you hear that? Jesus is the summation of all prophetic release. 
He's the finality and the fulfillment to every prophetic utterance of the Old Testament. Some of the things that were uttered that he is going to do are fulfilled in him, yet they haven't even been done yet. But they're still fulfilled in him. You with me? He says, for all the prophets and, and the law prophesied until John. And if you will, listen to this, if you will receive this, this is Jesus' words, if you will receive this, this is Elijah, the one who was to come. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Anytime God says that, what he's saying is, is you probably don't understand a thing I just said. <laughs> it's, it's true until we get back and study it out and study it out and study it. First time you read that, anybody understand that, what he's saying there? It's like, what is he saying? Okay, I want to read that and I want you to hold that in your brain. I want you to go to John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 29. It says, the next day that John saw uh, Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's involved in a ministry. Do you understand this? He's wrong, but it's the time frame in which he's in. He doesn't have the fullness. He's operating in what he has. It's kind of like Apollos whenever he met, uh, uh, help me, help me, Quill and Priscilla. And they instructed him a better way, and he received the Spirit of God. He was preaching the gospel, yet without power. It's possible to be involved in God's work and not be working with God. But nobody thinks they're the ones doing that. It's always somebody else. Always. We think it's always that other guy. It's never us. Right? Jesus says there's ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. We're always the wise ones, and it's the other people who are the foolish ones. However, that's a 50%. 50%. 50 of virgin people. That's a lot. We're not talking about the unvirgin. We're not talking about those people of the world. We're talking about the church. You with me? So John is representing a ministry here. His, 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 who John is represents the old covenant, the old law, the old thing, the best that he had. So he, he's preaching and he sees Jesus coming. Put it back up there. What do you got? Verse 29. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the first time this has ever been stated from the lips of men. You got to understand, these people were immersed in a system that required them to continually come back week after week after week, and it only postponed the judgment of the sin. It never satisfied it. The sacrificial Old Covenant Testament law was only a deference of the penalty of sin. It only deferred it to the future. It never satisfied it. You with me? And so he looks in here, and he, this is one guy who's about to lay down his ministry to somebody who has a better way. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You to understand, Old Testament ministry simply had its roots and its foundation in sin. Period. In fact, if you did not have sin, there was no ministry in the Old Testament. Everything of the Old Covenant was sin-focused, period. 
And Jesus comes on the scene in a new order, in a new way, in a new kingdom, ushering in a new reality. And this man prophetically states that the coming ministry of God will no longer be about sin. But what do we make it about? Our sin, somebody else's sin, our wife's sin, our kids' sin, our pastor's sin, that church's sin, this nation's sin. Let me, let me ask you this. Was Jesus more concerned about sin or was he more concerned about unbelief? Unbelief. Why? See, the blood can cover sin, but the blood has no access through unbelief. He's still a gentleman. He's not going to force his blood on you. He's not concerned about sin. Is sin wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Is there sin in the world? Absolutely. Should we make our entire lives and ministries based upon it? No. Why? Because if you teach people and disciple people to constantly see sin in their life and constantly have this rep repetition of, of having to have forgiveness over and over and over again, you're teaching them to focus on something other than Jesus. And then when they go to minister to other people, all they're going to see is the sin that's in them. And Jesus is never there to take away the sin. You with me? The church today is sin drunk. You know why? Because we haven't renewed our mind. The mind of Christ is conscious of the blood of Christ. It's very simple. The mind of Christ doesn't consider sin. It considers its blood. Now, the mind of Christ will let someone have their sin. But the mind of Christ will not mingle himself with that. So I don't care how bad your marriage is. I don't care how bad things are. If you're sin-focused, it's never going to get better. If you're going to tell them, if you're going to be the Holy Spirit to your spouse, then the Holy Spirit's not going to be the Holy Spirit to your spouse. And trust me, he does a whole lot better job than we do. This is he, verse 30, of whom I said, after me comes a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Right? Next verse. Wow. Those first five words. This is the best the Old Testament had to offer. This is the preacher of preachers in the Old Testament. This is the guy. The entire Old Testament was this graduating crescendo. Whoop, all the way to John. There he is. And the best he has to say. I did not know him. You know how many Christians don't know Jesus, but they've been saved? Because see, salvation is a work of God in your life. That's what God does. God does that work. It's a lot like being born. The parents do the work. 
The children just happened to come out. They didn't do anything. Like, they didn't ask to be there. They just, it's like, there they are. See, salvation is the work of God. Our job is to know the Father. And this Old Testament mindset did not know Jesus. If you and I get our minds on Old Covenant thinking, we're not going to know him. Old Covenant thinking is sin-focused. It's praying for things we've already received, which is prayers God can't answer. Right? You know how many people pray for peace and Jesus says to give it? Yeah. See, the Old Testament mindset thinks they don't have peace. Jesus' mind knows you have it, so he commands you to give it. You hear me? But I don't feel like it. Who said you were going to? Did you read your Bible? It passes understanding. See, what you have to understand is that the mind that God gave you doesn't need an emotion to affirm it. And we're waiting for an emotion to affirm the word of God. We're waiting for a demonstration when it's already been established. No wonder we're upset, confused, discouraged. I always say this. I say this all the time. I put it in my book. And I'm, Christianity pursues the things that sons naturally possess. One day you're going to wake up and realize that the Bible says you've been given all things. So what are you praying about? There's a reason Jesus modeled the prayer, which hopefully we'll get to next week in kingdom praying. <laughs> that our prayers should be focused on kingdom, not earthly needs. Not future spouses and kids and jobs and careers and marriages and this and that. Why? You know why? Because those stuff, that stuff doesn't exist in the kingdom anyway. We're praying about things that don't even exist in heaven. My Bible says if I take his kingdom and put it first, then he'll take care of the rest of the stuff that's not going to exist when I get to where I'm actually going. You know what we do? Christianity frustrates itself by pursuing kingdoms it wasn't born for. And then we wonder why it's all messed up. Does this make sense to you? Why? Because we're so focused on getting people saved from sin because we don't want we're a culture that can't stand bad things happening well trust me you would not have been a good follower of Jesus then no you wouldn't have you wouldn't have I wouldn't have we would not have been a good follower of Jesus because every time he turns around he's saving people from all this stuff and then he doesn't save himself let me tell you something them disciples didn't love the people he was healing they loved him, and he died. Talk about a downer. The kingdom way is different than our way. The kingdom way knows that the son has to die in order for the world to be saved. 
The earthly way is save the son so the world can be saved. Are you understanding me? Okay, let me, let me continue on. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me, upon whom you'll see the Spirit descending and remaining. It's super important. We have the Spirit descend all the time, but many times he doesn't remain. <laughs> oh, that's a side note. But I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, there's a difference between in and upon. And you need to figure that out. The in comes from him. The upon is determined by you. You live in such a way that's opposite to the kingdom of God. The spirit may be inside you by being a son of God and put the DNA of God inside you, but that doesn't mean you're operating with him upon you. You want, God, you want to demonstrate the kingdom? The spirit has to be upon you. And then verse 34, he says, I saw him bear record. This is the Son of God. So I want you to understand that the ministry of the Old Testament was the constant dealing with sin, and the ministry of the New is the constant dealing with the Son. Not the Son, but the Son of God. The dealing with the Son. So you don't deal with your sin, you deal with the Son. You with me? When people repent, when people confess their sin, they're not dealing with their sin. They're dealing with the Son. They're dealing with the blood. They're dealing with the Spirit. They're dealing with the life and the DNA of God that has the authority to consume darkness, death, and disease. You're interacting with a different kingdom than you were before. We get in messes because we were operating under earthly authority, and then when we finally get out of our mess, it's only because we stepped into a new environment, the one we were created to live in. That's why peace Feels like it comes back because our spirit man's like, this is where I belong. Not over there. Don't take me over there again. But what do we do? He's like, oh, dude, if we weren't so connected. Are you understanding me? So you remember that, that I said the first week we did this, that John was wrong but he was right at the same time. And that's modern Christianity. When John was in those waters, he said, no, you don't baptize me, I, or I don't baptize you, you baptize me. Well, technically he was correct, but he was also wrong because the kingdom needed to come underneath an earthly authority. Do you guys understand how influential you actually are? You don't, but I need you to. See, the kingdom cannot come to the earth unless it comes through a flesh. Period. God, God is a, he keeps his word. And he gave this earth to us. He did not create this world so that the Holy Spirit would have a home. He did not create this world so Jesus would have a home. He created this world so we could live here and demonstrate to the powers of darkness how to, how to set up the kingdom of God in a realm ruled by God through his people. That's our job. You, you guys understand that? You understand that when God created Eden and the earth, that the Garden of Eden, that wasn't the whole earth? You understand Eden was only just a place, one single spot on the map. And when he told Adam to go and, and be fruitful and multiply, what he was saying was go out to the rest of the earth and make it exactly like what I created here. 
That's what the word apostle means. It means somebody who represents another kingdom, and the job of the apostle was to go out and to create an environment that was identical to the kingdom he came from, so when the king would come and visit, he would feel at home. That word is not even a heavenly spiritual word. Do you realize that that word was actually a human, heathen word that the Romans and the Greeks came up with, and Jesus borrowed it and called his people apostles? In other words, it's your job to go create an environment so that when I come, I feel comfortable as king. Our job, not his. Hopefully I'll get into it. But many things that we're asking God to do, he can't or he won't because it's our job to do them. But we don't because we don't feel worthy. We don't feel valuable we don't feel anointed we feel why because we're we're sin focused can i give you a hint you treat people like you treat yourself so if you're constantly seeing what's wrong in everybody else i promise you 100 percent of the time you are tearing yourself apart on the inside Because we can only operate in the authority that we've established in our own life. If you give your authority to depression, guess what? You're going to feel depressed. If you believe those things, they have a right over you. Why? Because every power that exists outside of this kingdom needs an invitation within this kingdom to actually come. Demonic and divine. Why did Jesus teach us to pray, thy kingdom come? If his kingdom was just going to come anyway, why did he ask us to pray it? Because it takes a human invitation to bring something from another world because this world is ours, and he still honors that even though we're royally messing it up. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're giving God the invitation to come rule over the thing he gave us because he does a better job. Are you with me? Okay. So I want to go down to, let's see. John chapter 1, verse 19. Where were we at? We were at uh, 1, verse 33. We're going to back up a little bit. I I want you to see this. The difference of thinking. Hold, Hold the thought here. The difference of thinking. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is John speaking. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? Next verse. He confessed and did not deny. I am not the Christ. Okay? John's saying, I'm not Jesus. Because they were like, are you the Messiah? And he's like, no. I'm far from it. Next verse. And they said, are you Elijah? What's he say? Who's right? Remember Matthew 11? Did I read that? Verse 12. What did it say in Matthew 11, verse 12? Jesus says, he's Elijah. John says, I'm not Elijah. Jesus says, you're a son of God. You say, no, I'm not. When we live under old covenant thinking, we don't even know who we are. And it takes him to define us. Because the greatest prophetic order still got it wrong. 
Like he's accurate, he's right, he's commanding repentance, he's got a big ministry, but he has no clue what God is doing in the earth. (laughs) Because his mind isn't on a new kingdom coming, he's still immersed in the old system. And so many of us are as well. Ah, this is so much better than what I think you're getting. I don't know. I hope you're getting it all. Please, Jesus, let him get it. See, listen, we talked about this last week, guys. You can sit under kingdom teaching and hear absolutely nothing. (laughs) We'll get to the parable of the sower, right? Three out of four people who heard the word of the kingdom didn't hear it. That means in any service you sit in, 75% of the people are listening, but they never hear you. Because Jesus calls it what? The gospel of the kingdom. He doesn't say the gospel of love, peace. He says it's the gospel of the, it's the good news, what? Of the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom's good news. Why is the kingdom the good news? Because this kingdom that we live in is not good news. And everything that exists in it is, is, is designed, custom made by darkness to make you feel like this is your home. The movies, the television, the, the fashion, everything. Is make, it's, it's given to you to make you feel like this is what you have to work for. This is what is your reality. This is what you're living for. This is why you're created. And it's not good news because it's depressing. You're always behind the game. You read the verses in the Old Testament that says that I'm supposed to be the head, not the tail. And you look at it and you're like, man, I'm not the head, I'm the tail. I'm the borrower, not the lender. And you're, like, you're judging it from an old covenant system because the system's dominating you. And it's the one causing you to have to bend to it. And you feel like you have no power and authority because you don't have a kingdom mind established in your head. What does the kingdom say? The kingdom says the least is the greatest. True or not? So if you actually have a kingdom mind, whenever your practical circumstances are telling you that you're the borrower, not the lender, you're the tail and not the head, the kingdom's the exact opposite. Because I'm last, I'm first. And then it doesn't matter what your boss does or your finances do. It doesn't matter because this is not my home. I can be poor. I can be rich. I can be somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter because I am a son of the kingdom, and this is not my home, and I know where I'm going. And while I'm here, I'm going to live every last moment trying to build that kingdom instead of this one. It's the good news of the kingdom. It's not the good news of salvation. Salvation births you into the kingdom. People think salvation is this this thing. It's it. No, that's when the work starts. Ever had a baby before? (laughs) Jolly. It's easy to make a baby, but it's really hard to raise one. That's a lot of work. A lot of responsibility. We got four, and it's been a lot of work. But it's been awesome. You know what's crazy is that when you raise your children, you actually get the ability to see like a father. And when you begin to disciple people, you actually get to see as the teacher. Things make more sense. How many of you guys know that teachers learn more than students? 
Students teach teachers more than teachers teach students. It's true. Any teachers in the room? Is that true? Yeah, because here's, here's why. Because every time you get a new class, you're forced to, do, to deal with a new set of characteristics and personalities. And so you're having to adapt to be able to teach them, and they don't get half of what you're saying, but they're forming you to be a better teacher instead of you forming them to be a better student. That's why discipleship is so important. Jesus says make disciples. If you don't make disciples, you can't be formed. Why? Because you're not teaching. If you're not teaching, you're not actually learning. We don't want to make disciples because that's messy. You know what we want to do? We want people to be astounded by our doctrines and to show us all of our revelations. Nobody, can, nobody cares about that. Discipleship, they don't care about your revelations. They care whether you're available at 2 a.m. <laughs> it's hard. It's like, ooh, man, here we go. That's a rough one. You got to walk with them and let them live with you and let them eat with you and take care of them and teach them and get them out of their funk. Every day, and after a while, 6, 7, 8, 10, 15, 21 days into it, you're like, I just told you this yesterday. Why are you still, did you, okay, let's start over. Because disciples build the kingdom. But if you don't make disciples, there's no kingdom that's being built. We just want to run them through like cattle and get them saved so we can put numbers on a board and rejoice about how great our church is and then let them all go to hell after that. We don't care. Well, that really makes me mad. I've been through lots of revivals and conferences, and buddy, I'm telling you what, there's hardly very ever any follow-up. I got friends who are atheists to this day, having seen some of the greatest moves of God God had ever did in the last 50 years. That's our fault. Okay, are you Elijah? He's wrong. He doesn't even know who he is. When you live under an Old Testament order, you have no idea who you are. And when you're pinched and you're pushed and maybe you're pushed in a corner and you're sin-focused and you're looking at everybody else's sin or your sin or how you're not worthy or they're not worthy or whatever it is, you're going to operate according to this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Instead of he is, he is, he is. You with me? Go to uh, John chapter 3. Oh, man, gosh, sorry. If y'all came to this church to get out by noon, I apologize. I really do. I am sorry. I'm going to try to hurry it up, all right? Um, John chapter 3, verse 30. How many, how many of you guys heard this verse and people quote this all the time? <laughs> do you realize that that verse is taken out of context probably more often than uh, Philippians 4.13. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ. We do that while we're doing push-ups. It's like, that's kind of not what I meant, but, you know. He must increase, I must decrease. We say that all the time. Like, like I'm nothing, and he's everything. The problem with that is, is that he prayed that we would be one. Mm. Mm. So if we're one with him and we're decreasing, who's also decreasing? He is. See, do you know what that actually is talking about contextually? That's not talking about you decreasing. Of course your flesh, actually, that's even wrong. Your flesh doesn't need to decrease. It just needs to die. Yeah. Period. 
There's no decrease to the flesh. It just needs to be killed. Right? So once you're crucified with Christ and you're dead and alive to God, right, then the only thing that le is left is the you that he created that's like him. Does that need to decrease or does it need to increase? Okay. So what does he mean here when he says he must, this is John the Baptist saying he must increase, I must decrease. We're talking about two different ministries. He says the ministry of the old covenant that's focused on sin needs to go away. And you who take it away, your ministry needs to come up and be magnified in people. That's what he's saying. The ministry of Jesus needs to increase in us. And so when we're dead, but yet we're still here and he's in us, we need to increase. You with me? God's given me certain gifts. They don't need to decrease. They need to increase. God's given you certain gifts. They don't need to decrease. They need to increase. Why? Because he needs to increase. If we're one with him and he prayed that in John 17 and he gets what he prays for, then we need to do what he does. Now, if you're talking about the old man, then yes, he needs to die. But the very fact that we read this scripture from the idea that it's the old man he's talking about is proof that we're still thinking old covenant reality. Because we're sin-focused. People who say, I need to decrease, say that because they're conscious of their sin. They're conscious of their flesh. They're conscious of their failures, and they're conscious of all the things that are wrong about them, when in reality, the Bible says, that man is dead. Well, it doesn't feel dead. Show me again where it says you would feel that. The Bible says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You know what that word reckon means? It just means to make it accountable to that. It's just dead. It's done. You move on from it. You move forward. Well, I don't get a lot of emotion from that. Well, what are you in this thing for? That doesn't make me feel good. Listen, this, you're just be, you, when you're a son, you often don't feel what you want to feel, but you're accomplishing what he wants to have accomplished. Because you're a kingdom person. You with me? Okay. Okay, real quick. John 1, chapter 20, uh, John chapter 1, verse 22. Oh, we already read that. Yep. Sorry. So here, John says... I am not Elijah, and Jesus says, yeah, you are. Okay, what's John's ministry? What's Elijah's ministry? Anybody remember Malachi chapter 4? What's Malachi say about Elijah's ministry? He will come, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers. Isn't that what happened here? That God's heart was again turned toward his children because of the ministry of John the Baptist. He came to us, his children. And then that same ministry was turning our hearts back toward the Father. Listen, he didn't say that he would turn our hearts away from sin. That's not the prophetic order. He said that this spirit of John the Baptist, this old spirit of Elijah, would turn our hearts away, not away from sin, but towards the Father. That's the New Testament order. That's the prophetic order is that our hearts would be turned towards the Father. 
doesn't say we turned away from sin. Listen, if you turn your heart toward the Father, your sin will go somewhere else. It will. It will. Because in that love, you'll be fully established, and everything that you thought that sin was giving you in fulfillment will actually feel like putrid vomit from hell. You understand what I'm saying? All right. So Malachi 4, 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day and the dreadful Lord. And I will turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the children of the fathers unless I smite the earth with a curse. Why? Because it takes the children of God to be able to bring the kingdom of God. And if the kingdom of God doesn't come through the children of God, God has to smite the earth with a curse. Everybody's waiting on us. You say, that's arrogant. No, that's Romans 8. All creation groans for the revealing and the manifestation of the sons of God. The world's waiting for us to establish the kingdom that it wants to see. The, 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 our even current society, our, this, this Gen Z generation is starving for it. They want peace and they want unity and they want all these types of things, but they don't know how to bring it to pass. So they feel like they have to do it through riots and all these other things. But they desperately are, something inside of their hearts are being plucked. And it's not just, you know, this idea. It's the kingdom of God that they're craving inside of them. And they're just longing for someone to bring, pre, to bring peace to their own hearts. So that they can be established and they can go out and do the same. But it takes somebody willing to die. It takes somebody willing to suffer. It takes somebody willing to disciple. Somebody willing to step out of the current reality. Somebody who's willing to see beyond the nine to five that they work every day. I promise you, your job right now is the biggest thing that distracts you from kingdom reality. Because <laughs> when you get into work, it's just, let's go to work. It's a system enslaving you, blinding you to everything around you, all the needs of the people. Getting a burden for them. Understanding, God, how do I reach them? What do I say? Like, how do I get to that person? They're so hard, they're so locked up, they're so in their own head, and they think they're smart, and they think they're intelligent, but they're absolute idiots. <laughs> they think according to this earth, and it's all going to be destroyed. How do I get to their spirit? This makes sense? Yeah. See, the old mindset is least in the kingdom. Because Jesus said, whoever's least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because the least in the kingdom is the greatest. But you have to have a mentality developed to be able to receive that. Because whenever you're at your job and you're overlooked for the promotion, guess what? You're blessed. But you don't feel like it. <laughs> you, know, you know, there's some people that actually pray for God to make them great in the kingdom of God. Like, let me, let me, let me great in your kingdom, Lord. And then all of a sudden, everything starts going wrong in the earth. Like, they get... They get demoted, and they get a pay cut, and they, all these other things. They're like, God, what's happening? He's like, uh, I, I'm answering your prayer. You wanted to be great in my kingdom. Well, to do that, you have to be last on earth. Everybody wants to be great in heaven. Right? But we also want massive, big ministries here on the earth. We want to be the Holy Spirit power, woman of the hour, man of the hour. We want all the people flocking to us. We want to be on Fox News. We want to be on these things. We want to be the one everybody comes to the conference with. But yet we want to be great in the kingdom too. You can't have both. I'm thoroughly convinced that some of the greatest people you will ever meet in heaven, you'll never know who they were. Yet you will watch heaven honor them. 
and look past all your great little conference people that you love and you follow on Facebook and Instagram. And they'll be at the end of the line. But God used them. Yeah, God uses donkeys too. Well, are you saying they're donkeys? No, I'm not. I'm just saying just because you're used of God doesn't mean you're fully manifesting his kingdom. Ask me how I know. You understand? We've got to become kingdom people. I'm going, to, I'm going to close with this little segment here. Matthew 11. We're going to go back to Matthew 11. Verse 1, it says, It came to pass when Jesus made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to, to, to Jesus, Are you him that should come, or do we look for another? Woof. See, this is the clash of two mindsets. Both love the Lord. One is kingdom of the earth, and the other is kingdom of heaven. John is the greatest. And guess what? John gets thrown into prison. Anybody want that ministry? We can lay hands on anybody that wants to come up and form a line. And then we can play for the Hosea ministry right after that. Jesus had the Hosea ministry. John heard the works of Christ. Listen to this. He said, are you the one? Here's what Jesus says. He says, go and show John, tell John again the things that you, that you hear and see. What's he, what's, he, what's he about to list? He's about to list kingdom demonstration to someone who hasn't fully been convinced of it being manifested in their life. You know why sometimes God does miracles to, for you? You ever been healed or done so, God's done something for you that's been awesome and you're like, oh, that's such a great testimony. You want to give up and give your testimony? That, that demonstration wasn't so that you'd have a good testimony. It was so that the kingdom would be established in your heart. But many times the demonstration doesn't bring the establishment because we just rejoice in the moment and then we don't let it sink into change our character. So here's what happens. He says, go and tell them what you hear and see. Next verse. The blind see, impossible, never even done in the Old Testament. The only miracle in the Old Testament that wasn't repeated was the healing of the, of the blind eyes. Jesus was the only one that was able to do that. Why? Because it's, when he heals our eyes, it's his responsibility to open our eyes to see him. It's our responsibility to continue to fix our gaze upon him. He's the only one that can do that. The lame walk, impossible. Lepers cleanse, deaf hear, dead are raised, and the poor have the good news of the kingdom preached to them. What's he telling John? I'm out here demonstrating the kingdom that you ushered in. Now let it be manifested in your life, John. How? Next verse. See, when Jesus starts moving kingdom operation into your life, <laughs> you're going to get offended. Because your knowledge will kick in. Your religious spirit will kick in. Do you realize that if we were there, 
we would have been like, wait a minute, Jesus, you, you're a hypocrite. You told us in Matthew 25 to go visit the poor in prison. And you have a cousin in prison and you never went to see him. See, some things that you think you know about Scripture, God's not going to do it the way you want it done. Yeah, it's right. Did Jesus say, go visit the poor in prison? Did he say, go visit them in prison in Matthew 25? Did he say to do that? But how come he didn't do it here? Because he is the truth. We don't get to determine how truth is applied. And God will let you come across certain scriptures that you're going to start throwing in his face and almost demanding that he, he does something for you. And he says, my kingdom is offending you. Don't let it. Then you'll be blessed. See, it's a kingdom work. Hear me now. It's a kingdom work for God to root out all of your offense. See, even now, I know this by the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all are listening to me and you're hearing what I'm saying, but the, when this event happens to you, you're not going to get it. It's going to go, and you're going to be, why are I in prison, God? Why is this happening to me? And why is all this hard stuff going on? And aren't you for me? And, aren't... and that's exactly what's going to happen. Because I'm giving you a kingdom word, but it's up to you to plant that seed. Or the circumstances of your life will eat it out. God, at some point in your life, will offend you. If you think I'm wrong, just wait long enough and you'll come back and tell me I'm right. He will. Because here's the thing. Offense has its roots in our expectations, not his. Offense has its roots in our expectations, not his. In other words, when God doesn't meet our expectations, we're upset at him. Because he didn't do it the way we wanted him to do it. And he said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. So you have to get to a point in your life where you're like, okay, God, if my ministry is, quote, unquote, whatever it looks like in my life, being in prison, Feeling bound, feeling trapped, feeling betrayed, feeling abandoned, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, feeling this, feeling that. Am I going to force upon you to better my emotional state? Or am I going to trust that your kingdom reality is far above my circumstances and then one of these days I'll be free? Let's go to the last verse. Luke chapter 9. So cool, guys. God is so good. <laughs> He's just so good. Luke chapter 9, we're going to go to verse 29. This is the transfiguration. This happens, chronologically speaking, after John the Baptist's head was cut off. So John the Baptist is dead. 
Jesus says he is what? He is who? He's Elijah. And as Jesus prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. He begins to show himself how he really is. See, the disciples never saw him like this before. They could say like John, we did not know him. And they walked with him a long time up to this point. And there's many of you in your life right now today, you're saved, you've been with Jesus for a long time, you've had a lot of experience, but there's certain places in your life you could honestly say, if you were honest with yourself, I, I, I don't know him yet. I don't know him like this. I've not seen him this way. Next verse. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. Man, it's awesome. He let John, he let Elijah see him in his full plan, his full power. And even though he didn't get it the way he wanted it when he was on the earth, Jesus made extra sure to give him what he deserved. Next verse. Who appeared in glory and he spoke, and they spoke, he spoke of his death which he was, he was accomplished at Jerusalem. He finally reveals to John his plan. I'm going to die, and I'm going to satisfy the law and the prophets. And no longer are the law and the prophets going to own my people. I'm going to own them. And John, see what it's going to do. What did John see? He saw Jesus in his glorified state, the same state that he took upon himself after his resurrection. In other words, what he's saying is, John, it's okay. It's okay for people to die. It's okay for me to look like I lose. It's okay to be last. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be wounded. It's okay to be abandoned. It's okay to be betrayed. It's okay to be offended. It's okay, it's okay to go, go through all that stuff because my kingdom cannot be dominated by those things. I will accomplish the work at Jerusalem, John. And in that moment, I promise you, all John's doubts and fears and all that stuff just went away. He's like, I see the plan now. Some of you need to see the plan for your life. And all you're seeing is the pain, the sickness, the doubt, the depression, the death, the hurt, the impossibility, the sin. Because you're, you're living in an Old Testament covenant reality. Your mind isn't renewed to the power of the blood. The power of the death that he accomplished at Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? The death he was going to accomplish at the city of peace. Did it look peaceful? That's my point. That's my point to this entire sermon. <laughs> it ain't never going to look like that. That's why we have to give the peace, not pray for it. Sons of God are peacemakers. And when that chaos was going on around the cross and every demon was whispering in his ear, he made peace with men and God. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. He's so awesome. Ah, I love Jesus. 
You can stand. I'm sorry I went long. I hope it was worth it. Listen, please, just because you've heard this message doesn't mean that you all of a sudden have a kingdom mind. This is something you have to work out. And the only way to develop a kingdom mind is to do it in the middle of conflict. You can't develop a kingdom mind when, t- when times of peace are there. You can train soldiers in boot camp all you want. You can try to simulate live fire and all that kind of stuff, but until the real bullets start flying and the other guys on the other side are really trying to kill you, you can't be a hardened soldier until you've gone through some combat. You can prepare all you want in your prayer closet, your secret place. You can prepare all you want in your worship and your study and your revelations. You can prepare, but until you get punched in the mouth, nobody's ever going to know what you really are. So how do you do it? When you're in prison, when it's hard, when it's not going your way, when it's difficult, you begin to understand, you tell yourself, this is not the kingdom of God. That is. And what I'm a part of supersedes this. Therefore, it can have no place in me. If it kills me, it only sets me free. If I make it through, it only gives me a testimony. Either way, I win. So you can't be that way if you love this life. You can't be that way if you haven't let go of your hopes and dreams. Because if you have a hope and a dream that's greater than the kingdom of God, the devil can manipulate you. If you love your spouse more than you love Jesus, your marriage is now manipulable. And it will never be a good marriage. Because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God. Please ask yourself if you're doing that. Is everything in your life right now revolving around the advancement of the kingdom? The things I do for money right now, I am not doing them so I can have a bigger house, a nicer car. I'm doing it so I can build the kingdom of God. When I go to work, I thank God for the opportunity to be able to make a little more money so I can put it towards what's going to help and value the kingdom expansion. Because money will pass. Somebody else is going to inherit your 401k. And they're going to squander it. (laughs) I just want to take a second. Lift your hands with me, please. Say, Jesus, I want to be about your kingdom business. And I thank you that you've given me your kingdom mind. And I ask you, Help me develop it and root out the old one because the carnal mind is against God. And I know you're for me and I want to be with you and I want to know you. Help me expand your kingdom. Help me seek first the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.